Hi, this is not Arnold, but you should still listen to the 430 Movie podcast at 430movie.com. It's really fun. You'll like it. This is not Richard Dreyfus, but if you want to travel into space with aliens, you should listen to the Inglorious Trexperts podcast, the ultimate Star Trek podcast for sci-fi fans with a life. Hello and welcome back to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we explore interesting and infamous movies that either didn't make it either to or through production. I am your co-host, Josh Miller. With me, as always, is the madman, Steven Scarlatta. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. Right on. (laughs) (laughs) You're always so calm, Steve. (laughs) Um, Today, we have on a very special guest, Mr. Rob Galuzzo from the podcast Shockwaves. Yeah. Which I like to consider kind of a sister podcast, even though we are not on the same podcast network. This is true, but in spirit. Um, And Rob is also the director of distribution for the Dread label at Epic Pictures. Uh, Do you got any fun titles you want to hype as long as we're talking about it? Oh, my. All of them. Uh, them? (laughs) (laughs) No, please support all of them. Uh, Yeah, no. uh, Yeah, Dread has been going since January 2018. I think as of now, we've released maybe I'm about to release my 14th or 15th movie which is pretty crazy. Um, and just some highlights uh, on Netflix, you could find Lodgers and Terrifier. Um, and then on Amazon Prime, we have quite a couple, uh, Imitation Girl, Zombieology, Director's Cut with Penn Jillette, um, Lasso. Uh, so there's, oh, To Hell and Back, the Kane Hodder story, which is relevant to our yes. um, topic today. Uh, yeah, no, they're, they're all very different. And obviously, I don't know if your listeners, how much you've delved into our personal relationship, but obviously uh, we're part of kind of a bad movie brigade, if you will. We watch movies together, and a lot of the movies we watch tend to come from the canon um, era of of cinema, (laughs) and that's kind of how I curate the label, is we don't really see really crazy out-there ideas anymore. Um, People don't take as many chances anymore on movies that's either sequels or remakes or known titles or sequels to remakes or verses of movies. Uh, so, yeah, the idea was I kind of want, like, in 10, 15 years, a bunch of weirdos like us to be <laughs> watching the movies that I'm putting out now. So that's, Well, yeah. actually, funny, now that you've brought it up, because we have offhandedly mentioned on, I think, several different episodes, the movie-watching group that Steve <laughs> and I are in with you. But now think about it, you play actually a small part in the birth of this podcast, because while I think I technically met Steve first at a party, I really got to know him at your movie watching nights you started. And do you, do you remember the movie that started it all, by the way? Metal Storm in 3D? Metal Storm, yeah. The, the, <laughs> the only thing we all had in common, there's like five or six of us, the only thing we had in common is that we all desperately wanted to see Metal Storm in 3D, and I was capable of providing that. <laughs> so. yes. I would say for Rob here, I think we were just talking the other day, theorizing that you might have the most complete collection of 3D Blu-rays. I, I think that is pretty accurate at this point because now they've stopped making them, at least in the U.S., and it seems like they're kind of dying out even in the U.K., so I order from all over the world. So I just got Venom from Spain because it's the only place you can get Venom, the Spider-Man movie, uh, in both English and 3D. So the, yeah, I think I've the title still just Venom in yeah, Spanish. Just, well, the irony is when you put the disc on, it it's it defaults to all English settings. So I think it was technically made for us, but yeah. released in Spain. So I don't know. Well, Rob. Why are you on the episode today? What, what is going to be our fun topic? Well, um, you had asked me. Uh, well, first of all, I've been listening to the show and I love it. And and this is something I, I tend to get in these conversations with Steve a lot about because he's, in my opinion, the expert of best movies never made. And when you asked me, I, I really started to think about what would I be able to offer insight into? Huge horror fan, obviously. Uh, and uh, between hosting Shockwaves and just writing for everybody from Fangoria to Shock to Drop to Fearnet. And uh, I unapologetically loved 
Freddy vs. Jason for, for many reasons. It actually came out on my birthday, the year that it came out. And instead of a birthday party, I literally bought 30 tickets and just all of us went opening night. And it was like the greatest birthday party I could ever have because uh, I literally waited a decade for that movie to happen. Uh, and so I've always loved it. And I, and I, was, I remember kind of the the uh you know the fever from all the other studios to try to it took 10 years to make the movie and then as soon as it came out everybody wanted their freddy versus jason and some happened some didn't uh but the one that got really close to happening was freddy versus jason versus ash which you'd never think of that combo but it got really really close it, it and so i had a 17 page treatment that was published on bloodydisgusting.com um, via Jeff Katz, who had written it, and he was one of the execs on Freddy vs. Jason, and I just thought that would be a really fun one to discuss. And also because you guys can literally do an episode on every one of the 10 or 11 scripts for Freddy vs. Jason leading up to the one that got made. Um, but I, yeah, we, we can run through those and, and then talk about the sequel that never was. To, bu- to build up to this, um, and... A lot of this information came from maybe want to give the book a plug as long as we're... Yeah, I mean, some some of it's obviously just stuff I remember reading in Fangoria or through interviews. A lot of it uh, is from um, publication... Um, not publications, but obviously there's really in-depth documentaries like Never Sleep Again and Crystal Lake Memories that cover Freddy vs. Jason. But there is a writer out there named Dustin McNeil who has done several books. He's done a couple on the Phantasm series, and he's an excellent writer, excellent researcher, excellent guy. And he wrote this book that I have here called Slash of the Titans, The Road to Freddy vs. Jason. And this is by far the most comprehensive book on the history of every version of this movie since it got just since somebody said aloud we should do a Freddy versus Jason. Um, it says on the top, one film, two horror icons, 17 screenwriters. And it goes chronologically. It talks about each of the screenwriters. Um, and what's cool about it, I mean, we're just going to kind of just go through bullet points because there's just too much. But every draft has a breakdown of the plot, the story, the characters, the history, why it didn't work out, what changed about it, etc. So this, this is kind of everything. in it too. Yeah, and so in between a lot of the chapters, he did interview a lot of these screenwriters and got like their take on it. And, you know, some of them, it's a job uh, that they didn't really care to, to, <laughs> to yeah. do this franchise. And some tried to do unique things. Others just brought in really weird ideas that carried over. And, and that's actually one of my questions for you, Josh, as a screenwriter, mm-hmm. um, because I listened to your episode with Adam Rifkin, which I loved. And what was surprising to me is that he really was ground zero for Planet of the Apes, at least the revival of it. And all the way through to the Tim Burton movie, there were still things from his script. And so what I think is funny or interesting is, do is it cheaper for a studio to just rewrite an existing script rather than ask you to start from scratch? Because what's interesting to me is that there is at least one idea or element that always carried over from a previous script, no matter how bad that idea was. And that's the thing is like <laughs> the first draft has really terrible ideas. And yet it seemed like every writer was was I don't know if they were mandated. And again, it's been a while since I read the book, but kind of carrying over those ideas. And I just always wondered, like, did they just come in and say, hey, you need to do this terrible idea. That's <laughs> yeah. start there and save this thing. It might be. I mean, especially something that's been gestating that long. If it's the same producers or the same executives, they might have favorite bits yeah. that they demand you put in there. Um, and uh, as far as your question, the cheaper contractually they sometimes do like to get like it's a rewrite because even if you're basically starting over from scratch if they can call it a rewrite usually that means that they can get away with paying you slightly less that's what i figure yeah because because you know all these movies that are in development i have to believe the reason there's an idea is to call it a rewrite if it's Mm -hmm. a lesser fee for writers or whatever but because you should just start from scratch That's if something's not working. But anyways, um, so the way I broke this down, because if you haven't read this book, Slash of the Titans, you should. Um, and I think it's just it's pretty easily available on Amazon. I think, Steve, yeah. you said you got the, the... Kindle was five bucks. Yeah, the Kindle version. Yeah, uh, it's worth... Uh, yeah, I highly recommend it. 
Yeah, so I just thought I'd go really quickly through, uh, just to give you an idea of what we almost got before we go to <laughs> what we didn't get at, at all. Uh, and so the very first time that I think the idea of Freddy versus Jason was brought up aloud was actually right after Friday 13th, 6, Jason Lives. Um, and I think there might even be a little interview with Tom McLaughlin on, it was Crystal-like Memories or one of those documentaries where the idea had been brought up after. It it didn't happen immediately because Paramount at that point still had the rights to Friday 13th and Jason. New Line had Freddy. And pretty much as soon as they started talking, neither of them was going to give up distribution rights. Yeah. So it was almost like a dead like, end. Yeah, we'll do it, but you have to give us your character. Yeah, and yeah. nobody wanted to do that. And so what stemmed from that, actually the first Versus movie, is really Friday 13th, 7, The New Blood. Because because they couldn't get Freddy or they couldn't do anything with Freddy. They're like, let's just get like a Carrie-esque character that Jason can fight. Uh, and so I, I remember, I mean, I... I was in high school and I convinced my guidance counselor <laughs> to get me and like 20 kids into Friday 13th <laughs> no 7. Some good guidance. Yeah, I wow. I uh, yeah, uh, I talked her her and her boyfriend into getting us into that movie. <laughs> uh and and I mean that last I know now in retrospect the movie's kind of slow, but like when you're 16 years old, that last 20 minutes played like a, a rock concert for us. Yeah, I saw it in the theaters too. As I, I paid, we had to ask someone at the Sunrise Mall to buy the ticket <laughs> for us, and so yeah. they did. But yeah, you're right. It was that the third act was insane in the theater as a yeah, kid. From the second they fought, you're like, yeah. oh man, I want to see Jason fight Freddy. Yeah, that would be yeah. so much cooler. Well, it's also something funny if you just like if you're like looking back at the '80s, like you know, a year never sounds that long when you're talking about it in the future. But even though they they were the two most famous horror characters of the '80s, Jason was kind of already on his way out when the first Nightmare on Elm Street movie came out like yeah i think they were already doing quote unquote the final chapter yeah that's about right because it was what like 84 is when the first nightmare happened and then jason was yeah um mm. but i don't know it's it's I, i've seen I, i've seen robert england talk about it and he's like it's just that thing of if there's two popular things in the the public consciousness they want it to i because that's the thing i wondered like why why did that freddie versus jason when you just say it makes sense why wasn't it oh, i want to see michael myers versus jason or leatherface versus mm -hmm. freddie it was these two and i guess it was just because they were the most popular they're the ones that were referenced the most um i think even in the opening of this book um there's a quote from uh from slash the times there's a quote from stephen king oh yeah actually uh, i was gonna i wrote that down I was yeah gonna, it, let referencing just, uh let me just read Stand that all out. well he says i'll be first in line in my heart, I know it's going to be terrible, but I'll still be there. Everyone who goes will be like me, forking over for the ticket while knowing that the very idea is ludicrous, a set-up job only a studio accountant could love. And yet, <laughs> maybe it'll be good. And even if it's not, remember what Vern Tessio said in Stand By Me about a Superman Mighty Mouse confrontation. No matter who wins, it'll be a good fight. Yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that... So, I mean, it really stems down to that. Um, Plus, so, I think what Michael Myers was after Halloween two. It was a long time till we got uh, Halloween four. So he yeah. was kind of absent a lot throughout the eighties. So that's I think, true because that was what like eighty nine maybe was when they got to Halloween four. Yeah, the yeah. So that was after the fact. Okay, and we can't forget that. I'm I'm sure the reason this made so much sense in everybody's mind is. Everyone who was born after the age of the Universal Monsters remembers that after they made all the solo movies and they stopped making money, we got Fran Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, yeah. House of Frankenstein, House of Dracula, Atman Costello meet Frankenstein, yeah. and it was just monster versus monster. And the, also the very idea of even if they weren't playing their classic characters, people seemed to want Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff together, Yeah, um, which is funny in this because- even though some people were upset that Kane Hodder was not in uh, Freddy versus Jason, to me, Jason is like James Bond. It's just whatever your favorite Freddy movie was, that was your favorite, or favorite Friday the 13th movie, that was your favorite Jason. Yeah, and I, I understand that, but I am still one of those people that's angry about Kane because of that experience of being a kid seeing Friday 7. And mm -hmm. he brought a, I love the early Fridays, but he brought a physicality 
to that fight with Carrie that immediately, just the way his body movements was. and Well, the, he seemed so angry. He Very angry. And it's like, I want to see that dude take out Freddy. Like, that's the, that's the version of Jason I want to mm-hmm. see fight him. And really, he held on to that role for 12 years and was like, that's what kind of bums me out is like he was the champion. He, along with Robert England on the convention circuit saying, we're going to do this, we're going to do it, and it's going to be great. And then to just kind of pass him over literally over an ex- like some exec just that's what they decided that morning after their coffee like no we don't want to use him do you it know was why as simple as they that. was it like a money thing no i think there it was never a money thing from what i understand like kane is like i would have done it for whatever um i really think it boiled down to because even ronnie you the director didn't have he was not a fan of either franchise when they brought him on board so he's like look if you want me to use kane i'll use kane if you don't i won't like he was just kind of adhering to the studios, but it's just one exec had a vision in their mind of, I want Frankenstein this well, big next to say. a short thing. And the the reality is Kane is not that big a dude uh, compared mm-hmm. to the previous Jasons. Well, especially after decades of, yeah. I'm sure all his joints getting compounded by falling off sure. of things. And doing stunts, yeah. But I will say, you know, I mean... On the one hand, it's like Freddy versus Jason. The fans built that very concept. Yeah. So you want to care about the fans. It would have been ridiculous to replace Robert England. Completely objectively, I get the idea, though, that they're like, it's Dracula versus Frankenstein. Like, yeah, we but- want Freddy's the guy who talks a lot. And they were kind of going with more of the Jason lives Jason, where he's just this like monolith. Uh, He's, he but doesn't have as much personality as Kane brought. Yeah, to and that's Jason. the thing is I don't see anything. I don't know why Kane, why they couldn't think Kane couldn't do that. Uh, it's look to me, it's like a lot of people forget Bela Lugosi only played Dracula twice. It was that first time, and then, and then like Abbott never again until Abbott and Costello. Can you imagine? I'd still love Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, but can you imagine it not being Bela Lugosi? Mm-hmm. So that, that's kind of my rationale. It's like if you're going to do a movie with all of them, and it's it should be the key people playing them. Um, so anyway, that's, that's my thought on it. But to get back to the history, cause it took a little while before <laughs> replacing, uh, Kane and even getting new script, this took 10 years. So the first time they thought about it was Friday six. The first time that we actually saw it on screen was the tail end of Jason goes to hell. And that's because that was the first movie that new line now had the rights well, that's to the, the Jason character. Paramount. Jason, even though it made so much money for them, they were always embarrassed by it. Always. And, I, and I'm sure whoever was in control of it was just waiting till they had an excuse of the franchise finally not making as much money as they wanted. And they just dumped it out, which is crazy to think that they'd do that. <laughs> it's also weird because they kept the title, but not... They kept Friday the 13th, but they didn't keep Jason. They well, sold... I think they had great success with the show that didn't have Jason at all. Yeah. And so I I, I, I don't true. know the timeline, but they might have even been doing the show at the time, and that's why they didn't want to lose the title. Mm-hmm. Um, but the character, they didn't. it didn't seem like they were planning to do anything after Jason Takes Manhattan. And so, yeah, they made a deal with New Line. Uh, Adam Marcus directed Jason Goes to Hell, which I think he was 23 at the time or something crazy like that. And so what's fun about Jason Goes to Hell, which I know a lot of fans don't like, but I do – is he put a lot of fanboy stuff in it, and it's going to play into Freddy vs. Jason yeah. vs. Ash. So on top of, there's the crate from uh, Creep Shows in there, a, a quick cameo. There's the Necronomicon, the Book of the Dead, in the Voorhees house, um, and then the very tail end, they bu- they put Freddy's glove just coming out and taking Jason's mask down to hell. And from that moment, I even remember that in the theater, everyone oh, going yeah. nuts. I saw that um, as a kid, yeah. and I was one of the people who did not like the movie, but just that ending kind yeah. of made the whole thing worthwhile, and I was ready to go. Yeah. I mean, I know it's funny, we were just talking earlier that Jason and Freddy, while coexisting, weren't really on the same rise and fall timeline. Because also, wasn't it that when Wes Craven wanted to do New Nightmare, that kind of punted Freddy versus Jason, and they had to make some more... Jason movies in the interim to keep them alive. Yeah, I think that's where Jason Goes to Hell came in. Yeah. It was when Craven wanted to do... Well, I think like Paramount just gave them Jason. Yeah. New line. And yeah. right when they just got Jason, Wes Craven steps in and is mm-hmm. like, I want to do a new nightmare. And Yeah. Then... And there'd always been a little bit of... Um, 
I don't know if resentment's the right word, but there was there was bad blood uh, initially between Wes Craven and because Robert he Shea. He wasn't sharing in any of the profits. No, and and didn't do really any of the sequels. He, I mean, he sort of co-wrote three. So I think the whole the importance of New Nightmare was to kind of make things right with Wes. Mm-hmm. And so I understand that that's why I like kinda, that yeah. movie. So. Yeah, and it's cool. It's it's I think it's Wes's precursor to it's his practice run on screen for sure. You know, mm. so anyway, once New Nightmare happened and Jason goes to hell, um, there's a 10 year gap. And uh, just to, I'm just going to go through these quickly because just so you know what we almost got. So in the first draft, it was titled Nightmare 13, Freddy Meets Jason by Louis Abernathy. Nightmare 13. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, that's that was the title. And he wasn't taking it seriously. And he he came up with a whole story that basically the challenge is. How do you get these two characters together? Because their mythologies are totally different. They don't make sense. Geographically, they're not even in the same area. So how one functions in dreams, the other's in reality. So how do you do it? And so his take was, how about if there's a bunch of Freddy worshipers that just want to resurrect him? And by doing so, they have to kidnap a 13-year-old virgin. Uh, And then someone else is like, hey, we should stop those Freddy worshipers because we're Jason worshipers and let's just resurrect our guy to go fight him. And so it was kind of an out there idea. Um, David Scow came in and rewrote that. Um, he didn't. He did a draft, but he didn't really do a full-on script. And of and of the, course, of the cult version. Yeah, because so that it started with that worshippers, and then Scow, of course, took it into much weirder territory by making the Freddy worshippers Fredheads, as he called them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he also introduced a character to lead them in his version, and his name was Dominic Cochran, who basically was. I don't know, maybe like a Marilyn Manson type that like had a cult of followers, and their whole idea was to just resurrect Freddy. Wait, what, um, like, what year? Is this before or after Scow did The Crow? This is now, Scow's draft is 1996. Okay, so, so it's after. Crow. Yeah. After, and, and he said it was the easiest gig he ever got because he was already at New Line doing episodes of, he'd done the Critters movies, he'd done Freddy's Nightmares, and I think it was literally him being in the room, and maybe it was Mike DeLuca or somebody saying, hey, you want to take a crack at Freddy versus Jason? He's like, sure. <laughs> and so he did it. Uh, and then after that, that's where things get weird because then they brought on um, the, the Bragamore draft, um, was Which, largely influenced by the OJ trial because that was the big. Why wouldn't it be? And that's an example where I know because I've read them talking about it because Braga and Moore had been, they came out of Star Trek TV shows. Yeah. And Braga was a fan of horror movies and Ronald Moore had never even seen a Friday the 13th movie <laughs> yeah. and just didn't care about the genre, but they were writing partners. So he was like, yeah, sure. And which explains their draft because basically their version is that Jason Voorhees is a real character and that there's these movies called Friday the 13th based on this real legend. And so theirs is basically in the opening, they catch the real Jason Voorhees and he goes on trial. Yeah. So, yeah, it start, it's 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 I, I scrolled through the script really quick because I was so fascinated by it. Yeah, it starts off with um, land developers in Crystal Lake. They get killed by Jason. Yeah. Jason gets caught by the police and he's in jail. And so here's like a I thought this is interesting. This will explain how they were approaching Jason. This is how they explain him in prison. So his so they wanted the hero to be the lawyer. And so the lawyer sees Jason for the first time. It says angle on Jason who is sitting in prison bed wearing jail jailhouse clothes. His arms and legs have been shackled and he looks like he's he couldn't move even if he wanted to. Jason's head is bowed and he's staring at the floor. Most of his features obscured by shadow. And it says, note, this is not the hideous deformed mutant scene in other Jason movies, but a real man. He's no less frightening. However, he ba- bears scars of countless fights and wounds. Like so, yeah, fans would have been pissed. What's this? You, you, can, you can tell this was written by someone who'd never seen a Friday the 13th movie because it's like, yeah, fans don't care about any of this. Yeah, oh, not no. at and, all. Then, and then the, the, the lawyer goes to a video store scene after, and the video store clerk um, like walks him to like the, to rent the first Friday the 13th movie. But the one thing about this draft, which is really interesting, is that it ends in a shopping mall. Like there's like a... F- oh, yeah. And like Freddy kills a bunch of grunge rockers in a shopping mall. Like they make fun of his sweater and he makes their tattoos come alive. <laughs> make fun of his sweater. Yeah, so it's a pretty, I mean, the ending is kind of, I kind of like the idea of an ending taking place in a shopping mall. And there's but... apparently a reference in the shopping mall to the latest Friday the 13th movie taking place in space. 
before Jason X happened. <laughs> oh, so they actually wow. introduced that idea in this script. Um, and I don't know how – that's the funny thing. We've talked all about this. I have no idea how Freddy plays into this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so well, it's well, like, that's well, weird. Well, this, oh, so what happens is Freddy's in court. I mean, Jason's in court. Yeah. And they're going through all the people he's killed. And while, they're, while, the, while the judge is talking about it, someone stands up in the courtroom – and starts shooting at Jason for killing his sister. So Jason gets shot. He gets sent to the hospital. And so while Jason <laughs> is under at the hospital, that's when Freddy comes and sees him. And what we learn is is that Freddy, I mean, that Jason has an insane case of insomnia. He hasn't slept in months, and that's why he's killing people because it causes delusional delusions when you're not sleeping. So that's how then he goes just... to sleep, and then Freddy shows up. Yeah, then Freddy yeah. starts to. So, yeah, so they go through many <laughs> okay. scenes of Jason, them trying to f- put Jason to sleep to get rid of ins- his insomnia, and then that's when Freddy comes and visits him. I just love this whole idea of, like, forget everything you know about yeah. Jason. <laughs> yes, Morty. let's go this route. Because I know producer Sean S. Cunningham, after Jason Goes to Hell came out and pissed off so many fans, he kind of reflected back on it, and it was the guy who made it had basically his coming and pitch was fans are sick of all that. Mm. We got to do something new. But I was, as a guy who loved the Friday the 13th movies growing up, I look back and I'm like, I can't think of another franchise that got away with just doing the same thing over and over (laughs) again for so long. They made eight movies before he even left Crystal Lake, which I always say, imagine if they made eight diehard movies that all took place in Nakatomi Plaza. (laughs) It's pretty wild that they were able to get away with that. But um, but I don't know. But it worked. but now April. that I think of it, maybe that whole the court the courthouse thing definitely sounds OJ because that was in the news. But the idea, I think maybe they were taking a cue from New Nightmare, like, oh well, you know, Wes Craven just went super meta with Freddy. Why can't we do the same thing with Jason? Like mm-hmm. that's my theory. Yeah. Um, but anyway, they they moved on from that. Thankfully, um, that was called Jason versus Freddy, and then um, a guy named Briggs came in and drafted one that actually brought back. Um, Characters: Alice and Jacob from the Last Nightmare, five, I think, and then Steve, Jessica, and Stephanie from Jason Goes to Hell. So it was an attempt to bring all these characters together. Um, then this is kind of where I think Rob Bottin comes into the picture because they had locked him in to make this his directorial debut, and obviously we know him from his special effects from The Howling and The Thing. And so there, these guys, uh, Rife and Voris, wrote a draft called Freddy vs. Jason. Millennium Massacre, um, which basically went back to the cult theme, but was set on New Year's Eve, and it was supposed to be like the end of the world. It was like a Y two K. Yeah, it was a Y. Like, they were going I love that the like route. plucked from end the headlines days. elements. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but here's where the most shocking into uh, thing gets introduced. This draft now tries to tie in Jason's origin to Freddy, because this is the draft that features an 18 year old Freddy Krueger as a camp counselor at Crystal uh. Lake who rapes a young Jason Voorhees. Whoa. And they imply that Jason was actually Freddy's first victim. And the reason Jason is raging is because he's angrily been slashing his way through victims because of the abuse that Freddy put at his hands. So pretty early on, what they decided, what these writers were doing is like, all right, look, they're both bad guys, but you still have to root for somebody. Mm-hmm. Freddy's obviously the bad, bad guy. So I mm-hmm. think everyone was looking for a sympathetic angle to Jason so that we had somebody to root for yeah, like when Jason this fight happened. Jason has a tragic backstory. Yeah. Freddy's mm-hmm. backstory is horrible. <laughs> but so the elements that stuck around were they kept going back to this cult thing and then now this whole Freddy touching little Jason, which is just not oh, a good idea at all. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe maybe in Nightmare 13, J- Freddy kills, drowns Jason. And yeah. now this one is where he's molesting him. <laughs> they, mm. So they took it from him killing him, drowning him, and to... Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's one where Jason walks in and sees Freddy, a, a live Freddy sleeping with Mrs. Voorhees. Yes. But I can't remember what draft that I was don't, at this point. <laughs> Yeah, that's <laughs> like, in one oh of these, God. too. Yeah. Um, so let's see. So that was that. Um, and then, you know, basically at this point, they were offering it to Peter Jackson, to Del Toro, and when Rob Bottin got involved, that's kind of when David Goyer and Robinson came in. Um, and then another guy named uh, Abel and Berger did drafts as well. And they were getting really meta with the Nightmare on Friday franchises. Basically, they were saying that they were movies within this universe um, and that there was a guy named Dominic Necros who was a Freddy copycat killer. 
And, and so at this point, they're just going so far outside of what is in the franchise. Um, and the, the closest after that, there was a video game developer who had written some of the books, uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street novelizations and books and stuff that did Freddy versus Jason Hellbound, which was basically a take. It was meant to be a video game. And they're like, well, let's time this video game with the movie. Maybe we could use the plot for the movie. And this is the first time where he was like, well, let's go back to where we left off. Jason goes to hell. The claw comes up and grabs the skull, the, the hockey mask. They're in hell. So let's do a whole you know, Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat style fight in hell, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, for the video game. Yeah. And so that's what they were trying to like, well, maybe we could do that for the movie too. And then finally, um, and I think there was another draft called, I think that was called Freddy versus Jason Blood Knows Blood. <laughs> um, but then finally it was Shannon and Swift, the guys that ended up writing Freddy versus Jason that said, look, that we're big fans of these franchise. Stop re uh, trying to revamp the mythology, whatever. Pick up from where you left off. So, what? Why would Freddy's hand come out and take Jason to hell? Like, why? And it's like, okay, Freddy's been forgotten uh, because everyone's suppressed the idea of Freddy, and his power is people's fear. So, why would he need Jason? What he would need is somebody to start havoc on Elm Street again and get people talking and being like, is it him? Is it is it Freddy? And once his name gets uttered again, now we're in territory well where everyone starts talking about it and he gets his power back. But the problem is, if you're going to send somebody like Jason to do that, he's uncontrollable. So, you know, he would <laughs> he would just kill everybody. And then basically that would be where the conflict comes, is that Freddy's angry for Jason taking his glory. And that's kind of what inevitably morphed into a very simple and straightforward Freddy versus Jason. And, and by, when that came out, by the way, sorry to cut you off, they spent $32 million already on wow. the franchise up until this point. <laughs> so 30... Well yeah. done. Well, <laughs> it's a good thing it went well. Uh, by the way, though, I wish they had made every single one of those movies oh somehow just so I could watch them. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, again, you can literally do a, an episode on each one of those drafts, yeah. and it'd be fascinating to well, break the, down. The one where you mentioned there was a fake Freddy, the whole first act of the whole first act is um this girl getting terrorized by him where you think it's actually freddy because he's got long arms and he's doing all this crazy shit but it ends up it's the cult guy and then they yeah and then like a scooby-doo they reveal how he did all that stuff and so but then he ends up resurrecting jason by throwing a heart into the yes the heart thing i keep forgetting about the stupid that keeps coming back yeah (laughs) i think i think they just picked that up from like jason goes to hell like oh like they ate his heart so that must be a way to bring him back right which is insane but no they finally got to freddy versus jason it was pretty simple it was just like look there that's it he's just using jason as a pawn by disguising himself as mrs Voorhees. like that's why jason does his thing and then we need a fight in the dream world, and then we need one in the real world, and that's that's that. Because I think basically, it may have even been uh, Jeff Katz who um, had had was a fan who bought at a convention or something an early draft of Freddy versus Jason before he was even in the industry, and he read it and he's like, "I got to get in the industry before they make this movie," <laughs> and he ended up being a part of it. And and he he said he's like, "Look, I don't want to spend time with this Dominic Necros guy. Like, why why are you deviating from all these characters? I want Freddy and I want Jason. That's mm-hmm. all I want." And so he kind of shepherded that, and and thankfully they they made it. It came out in two thousand three. It was a huge hit. From my memory, it made more money than, I think, either solo entry in the franchise. And so they immediately, by the way, Fox was toying with Alien vs. Predator for years because Dark Horse was already doing it in the comic mm-hmm. books. I remember distinctly, they greenlit that the week after Freddy vs. Jason. <laughs> we Because it came out a year later, 2004 is Alien vs. Predator, direct result of Freddy vs. Jason. That they mm-hmm. finally started making those. Uh, and at that point, they're like, oh, well, what do we do now? And so... Ronnie, you talked about a sequel, and and the only pitch he had was, uh, quote, he wanted to do, let's do the good, the bad, the ugly, and it'll be Jason, Freddie, and Michael Myers. Um, But, of course, Michael Myers was somewhere else, and they couldn't get that. Um, The original ending idea for Freddie versus Jason was going to be that they ended up in hell, and then Pinhead showed up and separated them, saying, "Gentlemen, what seems to be the problem?" <laughs> Which is really funny. Yeah. But but again, I you know they they probably couldn't get the rights from Dimension for a really long time, and you guys should delve into this because I don't know how far it got. But 
they really wanted Dimensions like, oh my God, let's we got to do Michael Myers versus Pinhead because Freddy versus Jason made all this money. And I mean, Clive Barker's on record saying, I was going to write it, John Carpenter was going to direct it, but I just can't imagine that movie in any way, shape or form. Yeah, it seems like it was just like, like Doug Bradley brought it up once and um, trying to will it. I tried being... to find a script and all kinds of stuff on it. And I could I found a treatment, but I think it was a fan treatment. But yeah. it was announced around the same time now well, as, as Freddie, Jason on and the Ash. Adam Rifkin episode with his Toxic Avenger. Sometimes these things get in the trades and it was like there was one meeting. One, yeah, one meeting. Just one meeting. Someone talked about it and that was it. it but it, but it is Clive Barker saying, I can't remember which documentary it is. It might actually be the Halloween 25 Years of Terror where he's like, oh, yeah, I was going to write it and John was going to direct it. It seemed like it'd be fun. And then I caught Clive at a convention. This is hilarious. He was at a weekend of horrors on the East Coast and somebody had brought it up and he's like, yeah, I thought that would have been fun. He's like, but then we started talking to Dimension about Michael Myers and and he didn't. I, he was referring to the Akkads. He's like, they they think that Michael Myers is Hamlet, and they were like, didn't want me to touch that character or whatever. <laughs> so he's like, so fuck it. It's probably better that it didn't work out. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's hilarious that that was another one. Another one that came up was um, Candyman versus Leprechaun. Oh my god! <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Wow. I think they just both happened to be at Artisan at the same time at that point. And I interviewed uh, Tony Todd for um, the Candyman Farewell to the Flesh disc uh, that Scream Factory put out and unfortunately none of this made it but I asked him if that was if he heard of it and if it was ever serious and he just kind of laughed and he's like there's no way I would have done that movie yeah. <laughs> and he's like he's like look honestly Candyman versus Pinhead would make more sense because then we'd have two of Clive Barker's worlds kind of coming together but that's just that was just his idea like of what would have been cool. This just become a whole yeah. subgenre. They could have done Chucky versus Puppet Master. Well, no, they were going to do Chucky on Elm Street actually. Chucky that no. was the other rumored one. Critters versus Gremlins. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so so I mean after all this talk and all these other projects and and an idea for a Freddy versus Jason sequel, I don't know how it happened, but I think I think it was Jeff Katz was like, "Let's get Ash. Let's throw Ash into this." Because I think Sam Raimi had still maintained the rights to the character Ash. This is an Evil Dead. This is mm-hmm. why Universal's movie is not called Evil Dead 3 or the original title Medieval Dead. Mm-hmm. It's called Army of Darkness very specifically because I think that Raimi and Tappert had held on to Evil Dead and Ash. And so it was a matter of convincing them to do this movie. And from what I understand, they talked quite seriously for a while, like at least a year. Well, and, and also the highlight for maybe younger people who didn't live through this mm. the concept of an e- like it's funny that we now live in a it's our, the show's already done they did three yeah, seasons of evil of, dead world <laughs> of basically evil dead 4 the tv show but the idea of an evil dead 4 was like one of those things that Bruce Campbell became so sick of addressing at Q&As and conventions well at this time period uh, you have to remember it'd been 10 years since army of darkness army of darkness did not do bomb. well at all it was a mm-hmm. bomb huge bomb and so Bruce Campbell was a little annoyed that people would keep asking about Evil Dead 4. And he's like, look, nobody's asking for that. He's like, I'm glad you like it, but nobody is paying us yeah. to, to make that movie. And so this became a serious discussion. And really, um, it would have been a huge payday for Bruce. And so that, w- that was the main, honestly, uh, Rob Tappert and Sam Raimi, the only reason they entertained it was for Bruce. Yeah. Because they're like, well, he'll make a lot of money. And this and that. And for whatever reason, Raimi just didn't want to let it go. He's like, I just don't feel comfortable with somebody else taking this character. And I understand because honestly, I've read a lot of the comic books that they've done with Army Darkness. And I really don't think people could get Ash's voice right. Like in the comic books, the the thing that's interesting about the Evil Dead movies, and and it goes into this treatment because this got as far as a 17-page treatment, is that... People just kind of recycle what Ash would say. Like they think, oh, it's groovy and boomstick and all this stuff. But but Sam Raimi and his brother, Ivan, would make up new stuff, mm-hmm. as is evidenced by the pilot episode of Ash versus Evil Dead. It's like they didn't just recycle all the stuff we know Ash for. Basically, they made him like he did nothing for 20 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? And then picked up literally the same idiot with new lines and stuff like that and new catchphrases like they they that's the way to write ash i've never seen anybody really get his voice correct in comic books and so i think it would have been interesting to see if they could have captured it in this treatment well and 
I think let's just start getting into this story. Yeah. Because you said it's 17 pages. It's it, This is an entire movie. It's not a yeah, script, it's pretty but it's pretty thorough. much scene by scene. Um, and what I thought was most striking about it, having watched Ash vs. Evil Dead, is how similar Ash vs. Evil Dead actually is to this, the idea that when we meet Ash, he's now, I mean, the funny thing is he still would have been much younger when this yeah. came out, but basically the old has been at S-Mart, <laughs> And teams up with the younger employees yeah. to go fight Freddy and Jason. Yeah. So the basic premise of this one uh, is that they kind of took a note from um, Jason Goes to Hell. They're like, all right, well, all these elements were introduced there. We can maintain continuity. Basically, at the very end of Freddy versus Jason, Jason comes out of the lake and he's holding Freddy's head and it winks. And so that means that Freddy is still sort of alive in the mind of Jason. He's clinging on to existence by still being stuck in Jason's head. And so Jason actually has uh, the head of both his mother and Freddy on his (laughs) mantle now, which I thought was a neat idea. And basically, Freddy decides to disguise himself as the mother again and tell Jason, look, there is a book in my old house. uh, And it is the Necronomicon, the Book of the Dead. And if you go get it, uh, it can bring me back to life and it can make you smarter. Because the book is in Jason Goes to Hell? Yeah. Is that it's, set it's up? It's in the Voorhees house. Yeah. And so it makes sense that his mom is like, I have this book in my house that you should check out. The other fun thing is the opening actually has the Will and Laurie character come back just to get killed Jason immediately. Jason Ritter and Monica Keenan. Yeah. And it's funny because this treatment says like in bold, like notes. Oh, they yeah. Would, <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, uh, yeah, no, both Jason Ritter and Monica Kina have said that they'd love to come back and get killed. Okay, but if you watch, I think it's Crystal Lake Memories, uh, somebody went to a convention uh, and brought the comic book adaptation of Freddy vs. Jason vs. Ash to Monica Kina and showed her death in the beginning, and she was pretty pissed off. <laughs> oh, no She's way. like, oh, they were, that's what they were going to do to me, is just kill me right away? Wait, so is that graphic novel, is that just... From the treatment? This, all right, so I'm holding in my hands, believe it or not, uh, and you know what? This is way out of print now, but uh, Dynamite Entertainment did a Freddy vs. Jason I never read it, versus Ash comic book. This first trade is the 17-page treatment oh, in its entirety. So you can actually read the story we're about to talk to you if you could find this comic. Now, this was so successful that they went on and on and did more. Uh, I have no idea where the story goes beyond this because I just never picked up any of the other trades, but... They did make a trade version of it once they knew. Basically, Raimi at the end of the day was like, "No, I don't. I if I'm gonna if Ash comes back and we do Evil Dead, it's gonna be on my terms." Mm-hmm. And he held on to it until the remake, and then inevitably the show. Um, well, I should but, say the setting, the setup in this one is that finally, after all of these, you know, movies. Uh, or for them, real life adventures. The community of Crystal Lake was like, guys, we need to like <laughs> fix this. So they're basically tearing down and rebuilding almost the whole town. Yeah. Like they're giving the whole, they're trying to turn it into like a touristy trap. They're gonna finally tear down the Voorhees shack, which I love that they hadn't in any yeah. of these. Yeah, yeah, it's just been there the whole People time. People just keep getting killed, and they're just like, yeah, we'll leave it there. Uh, this is also at Christmas time for no reason. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's makes right. It feel like that a is... Shane Black movie. Well, yeah. the you know it's it's weird. Ever since I think ever since the last time we saw Jason, there's been this obsession of putting Jason in the snow. Yeah, well, yeah. and so for, I think this. I've always been box. obsessed with it, and. <laughs> I'll say uh, I enjoyed reading this. If Jeff Katz is listening, I love yeah. his excitement. Like he feels, it makes sense that he was like, "I need to get into the film industry, oh, yeah. so I can work on this franchise." He seems very excited about it. My one critique is that the reason I've always wanted Jason to be in the snow is because for inevitable hockey joke. Oh, <laughs> and all, they've never done anything where he walks out on the ice yeah, and somebody yeah. thinks he's a real goalie. Uh, it's That's not even funny. that important. But, it just but, seems so obvious. The OCD part of me he does is kill, driven nuts. He does kill Christmas carols, though. He so does. That's kind of that even, is pretty good. He walks out on the ice at the end of this movie, and there's yes. still no hockey still no joke. Hockey joke. Yeah. Were they, there was construction going on in Crystal Lake during Freddy vs. Jason, though, right? So is that maybe a continuation? I think so. And so, yeah, so just, just we'll give you the bullet point. So basically, yeah. they're, they're, a developer wants to completely rechange Crystal Lake into... 
um, for a screen, which is an homage to Friday 6, because that's what they called it there. So it's going to be complete with new houses and shops. And of course, they're opening an S-Mart. Uh, Ash volunteers to work at this S-Mart, even though he's not the manager anymore. He just volunteers because he has gotten wind that the Necronomicon is at this Voorhees yeah, house. Unlike the TV show in this, it does it's not implied that he's just some loser who's been doing nothing. He's been looking for looking the Necronomicon. For ever, ever since the incident at the end of Army of Darkness, yes, he's been actively looking for it. But by the way, the intro to, to Ash in this is very similar to the intro in the new show. I think they're listening to the same ACDC song, possibly, yeah, too. Yeah, he just drives weird. in his Oldsmobile listening to <laughs> ACDC, yeah, so, anyway. which is pretty fun. Um, and yeah, and then so then there's a new crop of kids that work at the S Mart that kind of become, uh, you know, Ash's uh, friends, if you will. But he kind of regales the tales of what happened in Evil Dead One and Two. Of course, they don't believe him except for uh, Caroline, who's the lead girl in it. Um, a couple of rich kids make it over to the lake because now, obviously, it's safe again. And of course, they fall victim to Jason. Um, he heads back to the house. This is the first time Ash comes face to face of with it's Jason. Safe again. There's one thing of like no one's died there for 30 years, but I feel like in Crystal Lake, it's like it's been like two years since all those kids got it must murdered. Must be fine. Yeah. No, they do that in like every movie. <laughs> Um, so, so yeah, so Ash comes face to face with Jason, but he doesn't want to fight him. He gets the book and he like runs away because he's like, this isn't my problem. My problem is I just came for the book of the dead and that's it. And so there's a moment where basically Jason follows him to the S Mart, which is completely up and running and full of people. Christmas shopping for Christmas. Yeah. By the way, this is early second act. Like what yeah. you all went through was the first act. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was action packed. So, yeah. Uh, so Jason shows up at S Mart and just starts going on a massacre of people, a la the rave scene. And this is the first time that Ash decides, all right, I'm going to put on the chainsaw and the shotgun and fight this guy and he comes out and says to him mister I'm afraid I'm gonna have to ask you to leave the store <laughs> uh, and yeah and they start this giant fight uh, which seemed like it would have actually been really funny because early on he loses his boomstick and basically is picking various tools and things through the S-Mart to fight Jason with um, yeah. but by like the set pieces are actually pretty well conceived in this treatment i was into yeah. it I'm yeah like, no i mean it's this movie it's, would have been insanely expensive but yes. if they'd actually gotten that budget it would have been pretty cool yeah what rob's saying sounds like fun it says just imagine ash tossing pots and pans into a microwave and having it explode in jason's face <laughs> so it it's seems like, like yeah, yeah it seems like uh, no evil dead 2 humor yeah. against uh, Jason, so which gets to my favorite bit because here's the thing: uh, the one thing I'll say about Jeff Katz, uh, even though I'm mad at him over the Kane Hodder thing, is that uh, he his melding of all these mythologies is terrific. And so after this whole Jason ordeal, there's a moment where Ash basically is so exhausted that he passes out. And now that Freddy has a little bit of oh, power, I love this sequence. <laughs> So Ash's nightmare is to be back at the cabin in the Evil Dead movie. And he's got his hand back, right? His hand is back. And then his hand, like Nightmare 2, suddenly becomes the Freddy hand. The blades come out of it. He chops it off again. And basically, Freddy tortures him with... Basically, like the little hand from Evil Dead 2 is now a Freddy hand. And there's a bunch of them. Yeah, I love that. So <laughs> I, I just thought it was a very creative way of like melding all these mythologies, but also paying tribute to the fans in a way that they would have all just had a blast with all this stuff. Yeah, unlike those other Freddy versus Jason writers, <laughs> Jeff Katz gets it. He gets, he gets it. what people he totally want. Gets it. Uh, and so, I don't know, we jump ahead. Basically, uh, Freddy's master plan, uh, well, there's a moment where Jason, uh, they try to trick Jason, and basically Freddy has given him a taste of what it's like to be smarter, and he outsmarts yeah, like the that. kids. Well, they think they can like fool him because yeah. he's so dumb, and they're like, wait a minute. He kind of <laughs> knows what he's doing now, which it's is like fun. fighting the raptors, where you're like, they're smart. <laughs> <laughs> raptors can open doors. Uh, so Freddy's master plan to get the Book of the Dead was actually because he wants the power to bend reality to his will, which means that he'll be able to do what he does in the dream world, but also in the waking world, which I thought was kind of cool. And basically he's telling his master plan to Ash, like, like a Bond villain. Mm -hmm. And Ash is like, I'm going to stop you, Freddy. And he's like, you can't because I already did it 10 minutes ago, which I thought was a nice twist. Yeah, I love that, actually. <laughs> that was cool. Well, I was going to say, I made a note here uh, as far as Jeff Katz getting it. I like he has a part we talked about, which was kind of true when I reflected back on the movie. You noted Freddy versus Jason lacked a classic Freddy kill. And this is a chance to make good on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Freddy versus Jason did, I think, in some ways favor Jason a little bit more as far as 
for the fans getting what they wanted. Yeah, because that's the one thing in all these previous drafts is that they do have a lot of really interesting Freddy dream sequences and kills that, you know. So. Yeah, I mean, well, that's that's the – so the Friday 13th franchise was always the franchise where they kind of repeated it and remade mm-hmm. it over and over. What was interesting about Nightmare, even though they didn't always succeed, is they – really went for radical ideas every time, whether mm-hmm. it's Dream Master, Dream Child, mm-hmm. Freddy's Dead. It's like because of that canvas, you can get crazy with set pieces and stuff like that. But um, so, yeah, I'm surprised that more writers didn't kind of go crazy with the Freddy stuff. But um, but again, I thought they got it right with Freddy versus Jason. And then this would have ended in a giant battle because basically Jason realizes he's being used by Freddy. Um, and so there's a big battle on the ice between the three of them. Um, I do want to go back a bit and highlight some more stuff. Um, There's a part where Jason gets two machetes. Oh, yes. Which is the moment they read that, and I'm like, oh, I can't believe they hadn't done that yet. It's so simple. Well, he's got uh, two machetes, and then there's a moment, and uh, now I'm losing track of where, but there's a moment where I think after he gets a little smarter, he sees Ash's chainsaw hand, and he loses his hand during a fight. And he jams the machete into his stump. jams the machete in to fight Ash with his machete hand now, which which was also pretty badass. What I was going to say, you had uh, mentioned earlier, I think it's actually from this treatment where Jason walks in and finds Freddy uh, having sex with his mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, maybe it's in this one. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's all sorts of good bits in here, though, because like Ash ends up, he encounters, Ash gets sucked into the Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, this is a lot of fun stuff of, like, oh, now we're back in this movie, yes, in this yeah, franchise. Oh, yeah. and, then, and he encounters the jump roping girls. Yes, yeah. But yes, they yeah. attack him oh, they and start attack him. strangling him <laughs> with yeah, the jump rope. Which, yeah, which is a great, like, like little Ash moment, but with the jump rope girls. Yeah, it's great. Oh, because <laughs> a key plot moment, too, Shay, is that there's a part where Ash and Freddy finally come face to face and they're talking and Freddy's doing the cliche thing where he's like monologuing his whole plan and Ash makes some joke about how he's monologuing. But then Freddy's basically like, oh, no, I mean, I already did my plan 10 minutes ago. It's yeah, happening. Yeah. And that's basically he turns the whole town into a dream world. Yeah. So kind of this whole second or this last third of the movie, sort of anything can happen, which I thought was pretty fun. And also I think during that is when to keep Jason occupied, Freddy brings back all of Jason's previous victims Yeah, to that's kill. a great bit. So, yeah, basically- It would have been would, cool if you could get a lot of the actors, too. It would have been, and I'm, I'm sure they would have done it. But So, basically, a lot of- Yeah, he resurrects them, and so they all come out at the same time out of their graves, <laughs> and it's it's recognizable kills. So, it's like you'd see, like, the couple from two is still harpooned together, mm-hmm. and they're coming after him. So, yeah, that's, that's how Jason is occupied, is he has to actually fight off- all his victims from the previous movies. Um, I would have loved him forgetting the character's name uh, from part five who gets killed in the Portageon. <laughs> I would have loved if the Portageon had risen out of the ground and the door yeah. opened up and he stumbled out. But would he have come back since he wasn't a real Jason victim? Oh, oh snap. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't know. Things get kind of crazy by the ending and it's it's this this kind of grand fight on the ice this is the part where I was really like, you couldn't have afforded pulled this to shoot. off, yeah. <laughs> Unless it was because a the lot ice of CG. is breaking apart and they're on little ice floats and yeah. I do like no that hockey they, jokes. Yeah, Jason is imprisoned no by jokes. branches. Yeah, yeah it's pretty. Ins- it, this is an exhausting treatment too. There's so much going on. It's very detailed. Yeah. Well, then it ends with the the classic Evil Dead vortex. Yeah, which is how they get rid of Freddy up. in the book. And then, um, and then, but Jason goes. Jason basically gets buried in the ice in Crystalic again. <laughs> How many times has he wound up? I know it's at just, the bottom of that lake. It seems like a good starting point for him. He to drain that lake. That's what. <laughs> forget tearing his house down. Yeah. Just drain it. Pave over the Ash lake. Drives his car onto the ice too to like. Yeah, to to kind of he kind of hits him and tries to like break the ice with Jason. And then there's a note to Sam Raimi, which basically is like, "This is where we'll do whatever you want with Ash. If you want us to send him in the vortex, if that helps with whatever next thing you want to do, great. If not, we'll just drop him off in another distant time. We could ride off into the sunset with the girl. So basically, they left it open for basically Sam Raimi's note of like, "Well, what do you want us to do? Where do you want us to leave the character for yeah. you?" Um, and again, he just didn't want them to do anything with it, which I well, thought was kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, bef- what's interesting too is that Ash kind of gets the final Freddy kill, which is Ash rams his chainsaw hand into Freddy's fleshy gut, raises his boomstick to his face, <laughs> and he blasts Freddy Krueger's ugly mug into another dimension as the force of the blow sends both Freddy and the Necromonican flying 
into the vortex. So I, I kind of would have liked an ending because I, I just wanted a zillion Freddy versus Jason movies yeah. where they kind of <laughs> make so many that they have to start getting weird amongst them. I, I wish they went backwards. They're like, let's make all these now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wish yeah. that because Freddy, Freddy versus Jason Ted about him being on his court at his trial oh, would have been, been amazing. Well, I, I was just <laughs> I wanted it to end with both of them getting sucked into mm. the Evil Dead vortex, and maybe they wind up somewhere in the past, and that's where they encounter Pinhead. Can imagine, or, well, can you imagine Freddy and Jason in like medieval times? <laughs> like if that, well, that would like they just throw them into the Army of Darkness universe? Yeah. Wait. <laughs> okay. Here's my idea. They got okay. sucked back in time. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way they can get back to the present until Freddy learns about the lament configuration, which we know has been around for hundreds of years. You got it. Freddy determines we need to use the lament configuration to summon the Cenobites to get us back to our present. Yeah. I have Writes two- itself. <laughs> <laughs> so I have two quotes from Bruce Campbell in Fangoria around this time. Oh, okay. So one is, fans won't be seeing the star in the much-anticipated Freddy vs. Jason vs. Ash. And he says... I have no thoughts about that movie because there is no movie. It's gone. You know, yep. There are continued rumblings about the possibility of an Evil Dead 4 on the horizon, but that would have to wait until the very earliest Sam wraps his duties on Spider-Man 3. That's one. And then the other is Campbell adds that why he and Raimi weren't interested in Freddy vs. Jason vs. Ash. A lot of people asked about that, but creatively, that's a zero. Where do you go with that? If you ask a filmmaker about that, he'll tell you what a lame idea it is. <laughs> so well, I a... disagree with that. I, I disagree been... too. I think this would have been a really, a really fun movie. I think it would have kept the versus thing going. I think people would have taken weird chances and, and made. Maybe we would have gotten. Yeah, I think we Michael would have Myers gotten three. I mean, I remember yeah. when I heard about this at the time, just as somebody who loved Bruce Campbell, you know. It, I always felt like other film nerds didn't seem to realize how not famous Bruce Campbell was. Yeah. The general it was like, you know, Bruce Campbell should be Batman. It's like, well, normal people don't know who Bruce Campbell is. That's why his movies are all cult movies. I thought it, you could tell what a big hit Freddy versus Jason was that they were even considering this. Yeah, because he's not the same. Like Ash is not. Maybe now because of all the Blu-rays and stuff and the new TV show, just the internet has made. But yeah, this is 10 cult years after more Army of Darkness. Yeah. 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 So it was still a cult movie. And I don't know, the trajectory of Bruce's career and life would have been so much different had, mm-hmm. he, had they... But he didn't. He never seems like... I mean, he's an interesting character. I love him. Um, but like, it's the same reason he never wanted to do another Bubba Hotep. It, it just seems like he's not interested in revisiting some of these characters. But I'm glad the show exists. Yeah. Because that's our Evil Dead 4. But reading this, it's a, a bummer it didn't happen because, again, I think, I mean, what a blast this would have been to go see with all our friends in the movie theater at the time, you know? Yeah. At least it became a comic book. Well, yeah. Yes. And that's the thing. Once it was officially dead, uh, you know, uh, Jeff Katz has credit on the comic book, even though I don't think he actually wrote it. I think they just are giving him credit for the treatment. But this is a pretty well realized version uh, in comic book format of exactly everything we just talked about. It's too bad because it's like when we did the Jurassic Park 4 episode, I would have loved to see that movie because it was insane. But on the one hand, I would have loved to see it because it was such a ridiculous, weird idea. This one just it feels bad because you're like, they got it. Like this yeah, they- is exactly what a Freddy versus Jason versus Ash movie should have been. Yeah, we don't read this thinking like, why are they putting him on trial? Like the weird <laughs> yeah, ideas yeah. for the Freddy versus Jason like that were like, why would they do that? This actually works on every level and satisfies all three franchises, which, again, is kind of a magic trick. I, I don't know how. Uh, kudos to Jeff Katz for for coming up with this idea, but yeah. So it, it's and so I guess in 2006 is when Platinum Dunes announced a Friday the 13th movie. But what's interesting in 2005, I found in the Hollywood Reporter, it says uh, New Line has initiated talks with Quentin Tarantino to direct and possibly script the ultimate Jason Voorhees movie. The latest Friday the 13th sequel. It would pay a lot of money to watch <laughs> no, Quentin Tarantino. He discredited that, though. Jason, yeah, yeah, no. So I, you know, and they said here, you know, Freddy vs. Jason grossed $82 million. So it sucks that they didn't make the sequel after. It's like the movie was going to be a hit no matter what. So. Well, and I think they even debated solo movies for both of them again. They're like, all right, this made more money than either franchise. Um, 
Uh, what's his name? Who's the guy that did Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer? John uh, uh, Naughton. John Naughton was going to do a prequel. He was going to tell the pre-Freddy story, but like in Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer style. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, uh, the trades reported on that for a while. Yeah. And like Robert England was the right age to do it finally. Freddy versus Jason and, versus Henry and, you Portrait know, and of a Serial Killer. He even yeah. said Freddy versus Jason was really difficult. At that point in his life, it was really difficult to do that makeup again. And then if he did Freddy again, he'd like to do it without makeup. And so that would have been really interesting, even though obviously Toby Hooper did a great Freddy's Nightmare pilot that tells that story. Oh, that's right. But uh, I mean, I I would love to have seen that. And I don't know. I think there were other ideas for Jason as well. Um, but yeah, it, sh- it should have been. should have been. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm annoyed that there hasn't been a good Nightmare of Friday since. <sighs> well, don't even get me started on <laughs> that. That's a whole other story. We can do a whole other episode of all the uh, failed attempts to do just a new Jason movie. Um well, thank you, Rob, for coming on. And Thanks for having me. Sharing yeah, was... all this madness with us. You guys should check out Rob on Shockwaves. Uh, do you have any social media? Yeah, you could find me on most social media as IconsRobG. Uh, that's my Twitter and Instagram handle. Um, and Shockwaves or Shockwaves Pod, that, that airs every Friday morning wherever you find podcasts. Uh, and yeah, and check out the Dread movies. We put one out a month, so um, if you're looking for really weirdo horror movies... Uh, just check the usual spots, Amazon, Vudu, uh, iTunes. Uh, and Steve and I are both on social media as well, and we encourage you to follow Best Movies Never Made on Twitter and Instagram. We are Never Made Film on Twitter. Um, whenever available, we like to post pictures of like concept art from the movies we talk about. So normally I would say you don't really need to follow a podcast on social media but we're giving you a reason yeah. <laughs> um but thanks for joining us for best movies never made and if you're a fan of the podcast you may want to check out electric surge's other podcasts like the 430 movie every friday in which a group of writers and producers curate fantasy theme weeks of classic movies and inglorious trexperts the only podcast for star trek fans with a life available every saturday wherever you listen to podcasts and disco nights the podcast about all things star trek discovery with host chase masterson every Monday. Um, If you like our show, subscribe, give us five stars, hopefully not one star. Uh, I also want to give a special thanks to Bill Ritter and everyone here at Electric Surge Network, including our producers Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman. So until next time, this is Josh Miller and Steven Scarlatta saying we won't see you at the movies. This podcast is a production of the Electric Surge Network.